You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, episode number 26. Hi guys, I hope everyone is doing great out there, hanging in there through this tough time we are going through in all of this coronavirus madness. I have a very special episode today for you guys, and this is a little bit different than some of the episodes that I've done before, but this is going to be a two-part episode. I had my friend Brittany. um, She's actually a pelvic floor physical therapist from Virginia. She came on to my podcast here and shared her story. She had three miscarriages, and she reached out to me a while back and offered to come on here and share her story because miscarriage is one of those things that we just don't talk about, unfortunately. I think the narrative is slowly changing to where this topic is not as taboo, but there are still a lot of questions and a lot of unknowns surrounding the topic of miscarriage and loss. And I find these all the time that women reach out to me and ask me, you know, what is a miscarriage actually like? Or I didn't know this happened, you know, to me. So I think it was so cool that Brittany came on here and just was really open and shared her experiences with with all three of her miscarriages. So thank you to Brittany. She shares her story in the first half of this episode. And then I'll come on in the second half and answer some most commonly asked questions about miscarriage. This is just going to be a very raw episode, and I hope it answers a lot of your questions that you have surrounding this topic. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where we firmly believe in the power of education when it comes to giving birth. Tune in each week as we dive into pregnancy-related topics, expert interviews, and a variety of birth stories. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now, here's your host, educator, registered nurse, and fellow mom, Liesl Teen. Hi, Brittany. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Can you just start by telling listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do, all of that good stuff? Absolutely. So my name is Brittany Wilmeth. I am actually a pelvic floor physical therapist. Um, I trained down in your neck of the woods um, at Duke and lived down there for five years. Yeah. Um, And we got pregnant with our first son two and a half years ago, and we decided to hightail it back to my hometown, which is a very small rural town in Virginia called Stanton. Okay. Um, So that is where I practice now. And so, um, yeah, so we, um, like I said, got pregnant two and a half years ago and decided we, I miss Raleigh Durham so much, by the way. Um, I love it. I love living here. I mean, it's just, I feel like it's the perfect size city and there's like the perfect amount of stuff that's going on. It's not like crazy, crazy, you know, like, like a big giant city, but there's also like always stuff to be doing and you never get bored. So I love, yeah, I totally agree. (laughs) Absolutely. So yeah. So we ended up just, um, back in our small little town and love where we are. Yeah. Um, for sure. But it's one of those that, like you said, like there's not all kinds of things happening up here. Like there right. are in, in your area as well. Right. right. Gotcha. Cool. Well, today guys, we are going to be doing a little bit different episode today. Um, I talked and answered some questions about miscarriage and loss and Brittany has 
had reached out to me a while back and said, hey, I have a lot of experience with miscarriage. I've had a few of my own. Um, you know, can I come on and tell my story? Maybe moms can kind of, you know, relate to this. So that's kind of what we're going to be doing today, guys. Brittany, I will let you go ahead and start off if you want to um, with your first son, because I know you didn't have any issues getting pregnant or any losses before your first son. So if you want to go ahead and kind of, kind of take us yeah. back to the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we started doing family planning about three years ago, mm -hmm. um, and decided that we wanted probably maybe two to three children. And so we, um, got pregnant with our son. It took a couple months. Um, I've always had irregular cycles. So our doctors were kind of like, it's probably going to take a little bit longer, um, just from that standpoint. So it took me three cycles, but that was over nine months period of time. Yeah. But we didn't really have any problems getting pregnant with him. Um, we had a healthy, normal pregnancy, um, vaginal delivery. Everything was great, and yeah. um, which was awesome. Um, yeah. No complaints there whatsoever. Um, and then we decided about a year in that we wanted to try to have another baby. So I was still breastfeeding at the time, um, and we hadn't gotten a cycle back. And around 17 months postpartum, um, I actually went in to, for just a well visit to my doctor's office, and I was like, I haven't started my cycle, um, but I feel kind of weird, but I yeah. maybe just because we're weaning from breastfeeding, like I truly was like, I don't know what's happening to my body. You don't, you don't. I remember <laughs> that. All. It's like, it's so weird. And I think I got mine back at like 10 months, but again, yeah. it was like, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Right. Or what to expect. Cause yeah. I was like, uh, what in the world? So anywho, so we ended up going in, um, to the doctor. They were like, give it one more month and we'll see kind of where you are. Well, at that yeah. point in time, two weeks after that appointment, I was like, I just feel like pregnant. I don't know. Moms get these instincts yeah. in their guts. Of oh, like, yeah. I just feel pregnant. And so I took a pregnancy test and I was. Uh -huh. And so of course we were elated, super excited. Um, never thought in my mind, like why would, why would I ever thought there would be problems? We had a right. fine pregnancy the first time around. And so we found out we were pregnant. It was about five weeks along. And then two weeks after that, I was, we went on a walk with my son and I came home and I told my husband, I was like, I feel awful. Like in a way that I don't even know how to describe in all honesty, Liesl. And I laid down and I woke back up to go to the bathroom. And I tell you, when I tell you there was a lot of blood, I was like, it looks like a massacre in here. Like this is insane. Yeah. And I called the OB and I was like, Hey, something is like, this has never happened before. Something is very strange. Um, and so they had me come in for blood work at that time. And I was, my progesterone was plummeting significantly and yeah. we knew that I was losing the baby. Yeah. And so that was kind of the journey that started the whole year of 2019 that happened on um, New Year's Eve actually of oh. 2018. And so 2019 then began, <laughs> it was one of those years that truly my husband and I were like, we are blessed. We love our son. There are so many positive things to talk about, but I will also tell you that 2019 is not a year that I would love to relive ever in my life. I, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> you just have those years. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So that first miscarriage, in all honesty, they did blood work, great providers, but truly because one in four women miscarried there were, they were kind of like, okay, Brittany, like just try again. Like there's nothing yeah. here showing that you are going to have problems, that there is anything wrong. There was probably just not a genetic, the genetic makeup that needed to be there. So, um, we're going to tell you to go ahead and try again. 
And so after you miscarry, um, a couple things just with miscarriage, I think that are important to say yeah. that truly, I didn't know. I, I have had many patients, many friends miscarry, lose at such different times in their pregnancies. And the pain that I felt during that miscarriage very much was similar to labor. And I know that sounds very extreme, but just the change that your body goes through so quickly. Like, I don't know if you experienced this in labor, but I had like the shakes as I was mm -hmm. delivering Henry just from that mm -hmm. hormone shift. And the exact same thing happened when I miscarried. I was in the bathroom and I was like, mm -hmm. what? My body is uncontrollably shaking. Like what is happening? And so I do really want to say just that it's important to know that when your body does miscarry, like you are going through another labor and mm -hmm. no matter what stage that is, like for me, it was extremely painful. I've heard some women say like, it was painful, painful as labor, not as painful as labor. I think there's such a spectrum that's really mm -hmm. hard to describe, mm -hmm. but that pain really does occur. And so then it took a little while for my cycle to get back regular again, right? Because these hormones yeah. have to get back in place um, to make everything run correctly again. And we got, we were very fortunate that we got pregnant my next cycle, but that would have been like three months after my first miscarriage. Gotcha. Um, and so obviously getting pregnant was not the issue because I could get pregnant, um, but it was what was going to happen next. So right. obviously there was a lot of anxiety driven around that second um, pregnancy. And I went into the doctor's office and at that point in time, I don't want to say they didn't take me seriously, but because I had only had one, they were like, okay, like things are just going to run its course. Let's figure out what's going on. And right around nine weeks, um, I was actually at work and I just kind of felt like a huge gush. And I was like, oh, that does not feel normal. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I went into the bathroom and I was bleeding again. Oh. And so I called the OB's office and I kind of felt like, okay, we've, we've been down this road before. Like, I know you're going to want to do blood work. I know you're going to want to figure out what's going on. Right. Um, and so that's exactly what they did. But I went in and I, to this appointment and I was like, you guys have got to figure out, like, clearly something is wrong. Like, I don't right. think it's just normal to miscarry back to back twice. Um, and luckily I had a provider who was really fantastic, who, um, I think had to advocate a little bit for myself, but who was very much on board with let's not wait until time three, because I think that's kind of the, they'll do more medical testing after time three is what I've learned in this process. Um, but, but let's figure out maybe the second time rather than waiting for you to miscarry again. And like so a good, a good proactive provider. Correct. I was yeah. like, so I was, that made me feel like, okay, like I don't have to do this alone and I don't yeah. have to experience the third one. And so again, the pain was there. It just didn't feel great. There was a lot of bleeding. It took me, it took me a good, like two to three weeks to recover um, mm -hmm. from every miscarriage I've had, just because your body is pregnant, is not pregnant, feels loosey goosey, you know, just like it has been if you've been pregnant before. And yeah. I feel like it just does take a lot of time and healing that I didn't really recognize um, was something that would have had to happen. And so in that time frame, they sent me on a, a slew of tests. <laughs> um, so I started with a hematologist because in one of the blood work that they had done at the OB's office, um, it came back that I had an ANA that was so, somewhat positive. It was inconclusive. Mm -hmm. um, and so my understanding of that, um, and you can probably add into this, Lisa, as well, but my understanding of that is they're more so checking for autoimmune 
problems at that point mm -hmm. in time, mm -hmm. um, just to make sure you don't have something like lupus or um, any other autoimmune disease that would basically be kicking the fetus out of you um, when you get pregnant. Yeah, so that's I, basically what an right. autoimmune disease does. Okay. It's like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So I ended up at the hematologist and then they sent me to a rheumatologist because okay. my levels were high enough, but not positive. So they were like, they were high okay. enough to show that something was going on, but not completely positive for lupus. And mm -hmm. so they basically said, just watch it. So if you're starting to have joint pain, if you notice rashes on your body, if you notice um, any problems in pain, call us because we need to get you on medication because you're not positive enough to say that you have lupus, but you're not negative enough for us to not worry about it. Interesting. Yeah. So and I don't know, now looking back, I'm kind of like when you miscarry a baby, your body's obviously going through an inflammatory process. And so part of me right. wonders too, if just that inflammation might've shifted my levels and like triggered to, it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Huh. Um, to cause a problem. So they still have not fully diagnosed me with lupus, but they mm -hmm. haven't not diagnosed me with lupus. If that I makes sense. If it's, yeah. I wonder <laughs> if it's something similar to lupus, but like, but completely different. That's yeah. That's right. just, yeah. I don't know enough about rheumatology and autoimmune diseases to really yeah. like have a solid, uh, statement about all of this. Yeah, 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 <laughs> Cause I don't deal with, you know, you don't, you don't, you know, you take care of patients who have auto, autoimmune diseases, but it's right. not like something that's every day. Um, but yeah, I wonder if it's, that's, that's very interesting to me, yeah. that whole, what you just said about like it not being high enough, but it not being low enough. So I wonder, I wonder if it did have something to do with, yeah. with the pregnancies. Hmm. Okay. Been, sorry. Continue. Uh, no, you're fine. <laughs> Trust me. I'm a nerd too. So I'm always trying yeah. to figure out. Um, so, so yeah. So, and, and when I went to hematology, I had known previously that I have one gene for what is called factor five Leiden, which is a blood clotting disorder, uh -huh. but it didn't affect my pregnancy with our first. So I okay. didn't have really do anything during that pregnancy, yeah. but because I have one gene for it, I can have, I guess, more antibodies with each pregnancy. And so the hematologist basically just needed to say that when you do get pregnant again, we need to start you on baby aspirin and Lovenox. Uh. So make sure that your blood is not clotting in the process. So that was an, a layer that I knew that I had some genetic component, but it hadn't affected me before uh, that they just added on for potentially then the next time we were to get pregnant. So, um, so when we, so second miscarriage occurred in like April, May-ish. And then I, um, we waited until my cycle regulated again, which is like another two or three months. Um, and then we got pregnant again in the middle of July, middle to end of July. Um, but I didn't find out we were pregnant until the middle of August, ironically okay. enough. Um, and we were in Colorado visiting family <laughs> and I am on the phone, like literally we're like at a campsite and I had to go find cell phone service. Like y'all, <laughs> like not to say be stressful. I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so, so we drive and find cell phone service. I get on the phone with a hematologist and I'm like, Hey, you're never going to guess. I found out I'm pregnant and I'm in Colorado and you told did you me like pee on a stick, like in I the campsite. Camp well, pretty campsite. much because because my cycle hadn't come back. Yeah. And again, that mom gut, I woke up and I was like, yeah. I do not feel good. I was like, yeah. I don't feel good. 
and I yeah. told my husband, he was like, there's no way you're pregnant. I was like, I'm telling you, I'm still pregnant. <laughs> and he was like, okay, go pee on a stick. So that's exactly what I did. <laughs> so, so I called the hematologist and he started laughing too. He was like, Brittany, you've got to be joking me. I was like, no, but I need you. You told me I had to be on Lovenox right. and I don't have any. So he right. had to call in a prescription of blood thinners to a pharmacist that was like an hour away, a pharmacy that was like an oh, hour gosh. away. And I show up and they didn't have the drug. They were like, it's going to take 24 hours to get it. And I was like, okay. So we stayed in town for that evening and then picked up the Lovenox. Okay. So that I was like super excited. We're on pregnancy number three. I was like, we got it all figured out. This will be perfect. Like we know we need the Lovenox. Maybe that was the issue the entire time. Right. And so we finish out our family trip in Colorado and we get on an airplane to come back to Virginia. And the day we flew back on the plane, I started to feel really weird again. And the Uh, only thing that I can describe of every time we have miscarried is my body goes into like hibernation mode uh where it's almost like not a pregnancy tired. It's like you're exhausted. Your body's trying to work really hard. Your limbs don't really feel like moving, but it feels Uh like everything is just like shutting down. Um, and I was like, but no, like we did everything right this time. So this is going to be fine. So the next day I went to the OB's office to get a progesterone level because that's kind of the cycle that I've been through just to make sure that my levels had been rising. And, um, and you weren't bleeding at this point. I was not, I was not bleeding. I just felt different. And so I told them that I was like, I just kind of don't feel pregnant anymore. Like that's the best way for me to it, but I'm not bleeding. And so they took my progesterone level and it was extremely low, but my HCG level was still high. And so they said, why don't we try to supplement with progesterone like right now (laughs) over the next couple days and we'll repeat blood work in 48 hours and see where you are. And in 48 hours is when I started bleeding. So we miscarried again. So I was like devastated at this point because I was like in no way, shape or form should anyone have to go through this once, twice, three times? Three I mean, I know times. many, yeah. I know. And I was like in a row, like what the heck? But in, and in all honesty, I'm saying this now knowing of so many women who've miscarried 14 times, 16 yeah. times. Like, yeah. so my three times are so minimal comparatively to other women that I know that I'm, that I by no means am complaining about that, but it's just one of those that you're just right. like, come on. Like, right. what's my, well, why you my think body that it's, me? I mean, you think that it's okay. It's somewhat not normal. I don't want to say normal, but like, okay, we have one miscarriage and then you get pregnant. And the next time you're like, okay, that was just a fluke. And now the next pregnancy, you know, it's, but then when you have two, it's like, "Mm, okay. And now it's three. It's like, oh my gosh, like what the heck is going on? What the heck is happening? That's exactly kind of where my head was. And so in September, so this was like the end of August, beginning of September. Um, I talked to my OB midwife's office about going to see a reproductive endocrinologist because in honesty, I had had a patient that I just remembered had talked about this doctor that lives in Charlottesville who I was, who she was like, he's wonderful. Um, and had no clue about my own story, but just was great raving about this doctor. So (laughs) I was like, Hey, what do you think about me going over to see a reproductive endocrinologist? And they were all for it. They were like, go for it. Go see what happens. That is totally great. Yeah. So, um, he met with me. He's absolutely phenomenal. Um, sat down and talked and in his office, he did an ultrasound and found that I had 
what they would call, I guess, very slight PCOS. So I have like, uh, I'm, I'm very thin. I um, don't have like hair in like random places on my breasts or on my, um, on my chin or on my um, yeah. upper lip. Like I wasn't really descriptive of PCOS, but when they did a vaginal ultrasound, they found that my follicles um, looked like black per- a string of black pearls, huh. which is indicative of PCOS or part of it indicative of PCOS. And so Mm -hmm. he said that that's really your only symptom that I can see. So he was like, so we're going to call you a very mild case of PCOS. That's just what we're going to call you. And so he said, what I think we're going to do is we're going to now send you in for, uh, oh my gosh, now I can't remember. Hello, salopingiogram or what's it called where they insert dye do you know what i'm talking about they insert dye into i do but i can't think of the word either so (laughs) we know what it is but yes so they did that yeah and they found that my fallopian tubes were open everything was fine so there was nothing there and then so he's so what ended up happening is he said basically your cycles are so long that your luteal phase the egg that you're producing in your luteal phase is not strong enough to create right so I was like you are speaking like things that no one has ever said before so your 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 egg when it's developed is not strong enough that the sperm when it hits it can stick to the uterus because it's not a good egg and so he said so we're basically going to try letrozole which is a sister drug of clomid um and we're going to try that and for two rounds he said, I do everything in twos. So if it two rounds don't work, then we try something else. Yeah. And yeah. so we did the first round of letrozole and it didn't really do anything, but it shortened my cycle. And it was the first time in my life I ever had a 28 day cycle. Oh. I mean, my cycles beforehand were like 35, 45, 55, like, Interesting. I had a seven, yeah, like crazy. Interesting. So cycle one didn't work from a pregnancy standpoint, but it worked from a shortening of my cycle standpoint. Uh And so then the second time we did the letrozole, um, we actually ended up going in for an ultrasound to make sure that the egg had developed and I was ovulating. And then Mm -hmm. I ended up doing a trigger injection to release the egg. Um, and then we ended up getting pregnant. So now we're pregnant. Yay. Yay, Um, but (laughs) but it's just a lot of, um, like stress involved with it, but that's okay. So again, you just kind of take it in strides um, and go from there. But I feel like this world of fruit, like in the fertility world, like I had no concept of what was normal, what people, what other providers were doing elsewhere outside of here. Like it was just such a weird world to navigate because I don't feel like there's enough information or research or any of that out there that even when I was asking friends who had had problems, they had completely different protocols than I had. So I was just like, I don't even know if this is right. Like, I'm just kind of like throwing a dart and seeing what happens. Um, But this provider ended up being fabulous and such a like different world for us. And so um, so it was just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, I was just going to say, I'm so not knowledgeable about, uh, like when you get into fertility stuff, um, because it, you're right. I mean, and I, I just think it's so crazy that the difference between like being seen by a general practitioner, you know, OB or, you know, OBGYN and then going to this specialist and it's like, they just, cause they've been to school, they know, they know the ins and outs of like so many different things and they could just like really diagnose and say, okay, this is what's going on. This is what we need to do. Hopefully, you know, everything turns out okay. And you know, your pregnancy continues. Okay. But yeah, like the power of going to 
a specialist that knows what the heck is going on. <laughs> right? It's huge. Well, and I think too, there's just like this, like we, women have been birthing children forever. Right. right so it's like, right. there's this whole subset of women that 90% of women can deliver naturally, normally conceive normally. Right. But then there's this like whole other subset of women that that is not the true to the case. And so yeah. I feel like for that percentage, it's like, where, where do we go? We feel kind of lost. Like this is not, not the norm. And yeah. I'm like, so thankful that medicine exists for that reason, oh, yeah. you know, 100%, 100%. Yeah. That goes for a lot of other things in medicine too. Right. Yeah, I mean, not just so in facility, but like yeah. medicine, modern medicine is such a blessing. Absolutely. Um, I did have a couple questions for you for sure. before we end things, but so with all three of yours, you didn't have to have, did you have, you just miscarried naturally, so, your body just got rid of everything or did you have to do any meds? I know you didn't talk about DNC, so I'm assuming you didn't yeah, have to do so that. But I chose not to do a DNC in yeah. all honesty. Yeah. Um, I was given the option and I kind of just had a really hard time mentally doing that because I was already in so yeah. much pain. Um, and so I chose not to do a DNC for any of them. And, um, but I don't think that that's by any means, if it's medically necessary or a wrong choice based on every mom, but I just felt so, I was like, okay, I'm going to bleed a little bit longer. And I understand if it doesn't stop within X amount of time, I will be back in your office. But I just chose not to do any of that. Right. And that's a very important thing to, to note too, that sometimes you don't really have uh, a choice as per se, like you just Mm -hmm. keep bleeding and bleeding and bleeding and you need it for medical reasons because there's part of a placenta or part of, you know, fetal tissue or whatever is in there that's still in there that needs to come out. It's not coming out. And your uterus is this big muscle in your body and it has a big juicy blood supply. So it will just keep bleeding and bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. And it can be, you know, detrimental to you. So that's, yeah, important to add. And I think Yeah. But another thing you said was good too, that like, Hey, everybody's different. Some people I've had friends who have had miscarriages and some people, some of them have said, okay, you know what? I've consulted with my provider. I think it's just best that, you know, we do a DNC upfront and that's, you know, that was their choice, but yeah, it's tough. I mean, whichever way, whichever way you you go, it's tough. And there's a lot of feelings too. I did want to ask you to, um, if you had, because obviously people who are listening to this, maybe, maybe haven't had experience with loss. Maybe they have, probably they have if they're tuning in. Um, but do you have any advice for anybody who's experiencing this right now, or maybe would experience this in the future? Did you find any resources that helped you like websites or, you know, books or anything like that? Yeah, that's great. So, um, the support of the people around me was something that was really important. And I think, also knowing the people that were surrounded, like some of them were family, some of them were friends. Um, I think the other part of this is knowing like they didn't know how to react either. Like yeah. no one really knows what to say. No one, well, no matter what anyone says, it's not going to take away the loss of a child. Of course. And so yeah. I think that supportive system is really important, but also knowing I found comfort in finding people like me. So yeah. I couldn't explain to a girlfriend how I was feeling well, if she hadn't lost before. And that's not her fault. Like you don't wish loss on anyone, but it just was like, I, I, you don't truly 
and you can't, then they, they, you can't relate. And yeah. so it was really important to me to find people who were like me that I could communicate with. Yeah. Um, and the other part that I didn't add in, so thank you for saying that, Lisa. Um, yeah. In between number two and three, I started to have a lot of anxiety even around my son. Like we had lost two babies. I kept thinking, I had a lot of anxiety in regards to like, I would drop him at daycare and think that when I would go back to pick him up, that he wasn't going to be there because I, so I actually did go to counseling for about a month um, to work through some of that because I think that um, miscarriage brings up a lot of emotions that sometimes you don't know how to deal with. And so that was really, really important, an important component of kind of my healing and my getting less anxious about things um, because of that. And so, there's a woman I also follow on Instagram. I had a miscarriage and she's uh-huh. wonderful. Yeah, um, so I, I just kind of, yeah, I just kind of looked at people um, that were like me and I just related yeah. to them in that nature and found people in my community as well. And I think some women are open to talking about miscarriages and some women aren't. And so I think that I have found that as well as mm-hmm. like, they may have had loss and they may not want to talk about it and that's okay. But just sitting and supporting that woman is just really important too. Yeah. Oh, well, that's so great. And I think it's so good that you brought up talk therapy too, because that I stress so heavily to people, Um, you know, if they go through a miscarriage or maybe they've just had a baby and they're having, you know, some issues with baby blues, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. And that was something um, that I wanted to bring up too, that I've talked about this on my podcast, I think with Psyched Mommy, when we did our, our like psych uh, interview and she mentioned that like this, that is definitely a thing. If you have a miscarriage, you know, when you have a baby, you think, okay, it's normal for the, the, these feelings of postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety to happen, you know, not normal, but I'm saying it's, it's a process, right? It right. like, it can right. happen, but exactly. you don't really think about it after a loss because right. you don't have a baby, but it's all of the same hormones and all of the same, same shifts. And you talked about it. It feels similar to labor. It's yeah. all of these same things happening and triggering chemicals in your brain. So yeah, she says, she, she said on the podcast and, um, that it's absolutely a thing. You can get postpartum depression, you know, four to six weeks after you have a a miscarriage or postpartum anxiety. So if this is you too, and you're listening, then maybe you're having all these crazy, like feelings of, I I just don't feel like myself. This is not me that, Hey, maybe this has something to do with the fact that you had a miscarriage and always, always, always a good idea to talk to somebody. Maybe it's not a counselor. Maybe it's just your provider at first. Maybe it's your partner. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your friends, but yeah, the more talking, the better. (laughs) Absolutely. And I truly didn't recognize it in myself. Like I knew I was those internal feelings, but my spouse was the one who came to me and just said, Hey, I know you're hurting, but like, think you are very different. Yeah. And I, this is not and you, I right? He was like, this is not you and I can't help you. So he was like, so we need to figure out who can help you because yeah. this is not, this is not healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we love our partners for all the truths they speak. Um, yes. and that was one of those that I was just like, wow, like I thank you. Cause I don't yeah. know that I would have on my own just said there's something wrong with me. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, that's great. Well, that's a great way to end it. Um, and I know you, are you on social media? Did you want to go ahead and remind listeners where they can find you on social media if they want to follow you? 
absolutely. So it's just my name. So I'm at Brittany Swan Wilmoth. Um, I'm a pelvic floor PT, but we talk life of babies and also pelvic floor stuff. So I'd love for you guys to come on and um, join me. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll absolutely, I'll um, follow up with you and hopefully, you know, I say good luck to you with this yes. pregnancy. Hopefully everything Thank goes you, well. Yeah. How many weeks are you now? Um, eight weeks right eight now. Eight weeks. Okay. Yep. Okay. So we're, yeah. we're in period of like the eight to 12 where I'm like, right. okay, but uh, super anxiety when everything correct. happens. Yeah. yeah. So, well, yeah. I will definitely be following up with you. Hopefully awesome. everything goes well and Hey, maybe you can come on and do a birth story yeah, <laughs> you know, if absolutely. everything goes well. Yeah, so absolutely. All right. Thank you thanks. so much, Lisa. Yeah. Thanks, Brittany. And thanks again to Brittany for coming on to the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast and sharing that story. I think that was just so beneficial and can be so beneficial to so many people out there. I did want to give you guys an update of Brittany because the last time I talked to her during her episode, she was pregnant again, very newly pregnant. And she is actually still pregnant. She is currently 18 weeks pregnant. Uh, perfectly healthy pregnancy. So congrats to Brittany. I hope everything goes well, continues to go well with this pregnancy. I wanted to come on here at the end of this episode and just answer a few more common questions about miscarriage, kind of do a half interview, half Q&A kind of podcast episode for you guys. So first of all, let's talk about how common miscarriage is because it is quite common. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize, especially when they go through one and they haven't been pregnant before, they think, oh, everything's going to be fine. And then they end up having a miscarriage and it becomes apparent to them that this is super common and a lot of women experience this. So first of all, miscarriage is fairly common during the first 12 weeks of pregnancy, the first trimester. It's really actually pretty hard to know exactly the statistic of how many miscarriages do take place because sometimes a miscarriage can happen before mom even knows that she's pregnant. That's called a chemical pregnancy. But the estimated figure is about one in four. So one out of every four recognized pregnancies will miscarry. And about 85% of those miscarriages will happen in the first trimester. Late miscarriage, so after 12-ish weeks, 13 weeks and beyond, is much less common, but it still does occur. Age does kind of play a factor in miscarriage and your risk for miscarriage. If you're older, your risk does go up. And I'll answer that question a little further down too, because there's kind of more, um, more that goes into that question. But yeah, super common, one out of four pregnancies. So let's move on to the next question that I get very, very commonly asked. And that is, what are the signs and symptoms of miscarriage? Like what exactly happens to cue me into this is going on? So really the main cardinal symptom of miscarriage is vaginal bleeding, right? If you start bleeding during the first trimester, Bleeding, some bleeding can be fairly common during, especially during the first trimester in healthy pregnancies. But if you start heavily bleeding, especially if it's accompanied by heavy clotting and it's bright red, that is the main symptom that many women experience. They just all of a sudden start bleeding. It can vary from like a light spotting. You can kind of start light spotting, almost like a period. You kind of start light spotting and then you start heavy bleeding. That's usually much heavier than a normal period. 
Some women are actually pretty shocked at the volume of blood that comes out of them during a miscarriage, especially one that is a little bit later in the first trimester. Another big sign is cramping. Okay, abdominal pain, you're going to get really heavy cramping typically with this bleeding. Some women also describe the feeling of just not feeling that they're pregnant anymore. There's an odd, there's just an odd feeling about being pregnant and the loss of that can be a sign that you're experiencing a miscarriage. Maybe you were feeling really nauseous every single day and then one day for a few days, you know, you kind of wake up and you're not feeling like that anymore. Maybe your boobs really aren't sore anymore. There's just kind of something that changes. And that's not to say that this doesn't happen during healthy pregnancies. You know, if your pregnancy is not having any bleeding or cramping and everything's fine, and then one day you wake up and you're like, I don't feel pregnant anymore, and you're in your first trimester, it's probably okay. You know, that's common. So I don't want to scare you with that sign, but that is sometimes a sign that we do see with women who experience miscarriage is that they all of a sudden just don't feel like they're pregnant anymore. Along with bleeding and cramping, you might have some nausea or vomiting. Sometimes when we experience any sort of pain, especially if it's extreme and you have extreme cramping, you have the tendency to get really nauseous and vomit. So that also may happen. All right, so this next question is the one about age. So how does age kind of increase the risk of your of miscarriage? So because we as women are born with a set amount of eggs, right? We're all born with a finite amount of eggs. You don't make more, okay? Women over 35 do face an increased risk of miscarriage because the not only do the quality of her eggs decline, but there's less eggs in there as well. And actually, according to ACOG, by the time you turn 43, there is about a actually about a 50% chance that your pregnancy will miscarry just because of that rapid decline in the quality of your eggs. And also a thing to add about age as well, if you do carry a successful pregnancy, your age is a risk factor in other pregnancy complications such as preterm labor, preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, other adverse pregnancy outcomes. Of course, there are plenty of women who conceive after the age of 35 and they are completely fine and they carry perfectly healthy pregnancies without any issues. But that is a big thing to think about if you're one of those that you're trying to get pregnant and you're over that age, just to recognize that you do have that increased risk. All right, the next question is, what are some of the causes of miscarriage and what are some of the most common causes of miscarriage? So generally, if you miscarry in the first trimester, one of the main reasons that you probably miscarried is because of genetic abnormalities. So sometimes when an egg fertilizes, okay, it has an abnormal number of chromosomes, genes, and this happens at random, totally random. So there's really absolutely nothing that you can do to prevent it or nothing that you did to cause it to happen. Another cause is illness. Okay, if you get a really high fever during your first trimester, we have seen increased 
risk of miscarriage when mom's temp is over a certain degree for a certain amount of time. And also if you have certain other illnesses, chronic illnesses like high blood pressure, diabetes, other medical issues just personally, that sometimes those can increase your risk of miscarriage. Another cause is maybe you had a major injury you know, that it happened in the first trimester, you got into a really bad car accident, or you fell really hard or something like that, that can unfortunately cause a miscarriage trauma. Another cause is maybe you have an abnormality in your uterus. We typically see miscarriages happen later in pregnancy if it's due to this reason. But sometimes in the first trimester, if you have an abnormal, some sort of abnormality, like an oddly shaped uterus, or you've had previous surgery on your uterus, that may increase your risk of first trimester miscarriage as well. And of course, like Brittany shared her story, um, another cause if, is if you've just had recurrent miscarriages, you've had two or more miscarriages in a row, you're more likely to unfortunately have another one. So let's go on to this next question. The next one is what are the different types of miscarriages? Okay, it's not just, you know, there's one type. There's a few different types. So first of all, let's talk about what a threatened miscarriage is. You may see that on your chart and that may freak you out if you're pregnant, but a threatened miscarriage is not really a miscarriage at all. It's just that you had vaginal bleeding or you had cramping in your first trimester, but your cervix stayed closed and they monitored you and they ruled out that this was not a miscarriage. Usually about half of the time, half of women go on to have perfectly healthy pregnancies, no issues, and then the other half of women, if you have a threatened miscarriage in the first trimester, your pregnancy will end in loss. The next kind is just an inevitable miscarriage. Okay, we've talked about the signs and symptoms. You all of a sudden wake up one day and you have increased bleeding, you have heavy bleeding, your cervix starts to open on its own, and there's really absolutely nothing that you can do. That's the kind of miscarriage that most people are familiar with. The next kind is called an incomplete miscarriage. And these are more common in the later weeks of pregnancy still definitely happens in the first trimester, but a inevitable miscarriage, you know, your body just kind of doing its thing to rid itself of the pregnancy, that usually happens earlier in gestation. Incomplete miscarriages usually happen a little bit later. So incomplete is just when some of the pregnancy tissue, partial placenta, you know, partially of the baby comes out of your uterus and some, some still stays inside. Almost always with these types of miscarriages, you will need some sort of intervention. So either a DNC, and we'll go over treatment options next, either a DNC or additional medication to help remove the rest of the tissue. And then the last kind is a missed miscarriage. Okay, and this kind is fairly common as well. A missed miscarriage is basically when you just don't have any cramps or any bleeding or any signs and symptoms that you're having a miscarriage, but you go into an appointment one day and they do an ultrasound on you and they find that baby is no longer living. All right, the next question is what are the types of treatments for miscarriage? If your doctor or your provider says that you, I mean, I'm so sorry, but you've experienced a miscarriage, kind of what happens next? You know, what happens next? So many women just choose 
to wait and watch what happens and watch for signs and symptoms. And they just kind of want to let their body pass the tissue itself and see if it's able to pass the tissue itself. And this is perfectly fine. This is usually manageable at home. If this takes too long or if you say, I just want to get this over with, there are additional treatment options. The first one is medications. So your provider may prescribe you a medication called Cytotec. And that is just basically a medication that causes your uterus to have additional contractions and to contract harder to expel the rest of the tissue. This medication can, like I said, be given initially when you recognize that you are having a miscarriage, or you can try that wait and watch method for a few days or a few weeks. And if you're still having additional bleeding, they may recommend medication. If the medication does not work, or you want to go directly to another treatment option called a DNC, a DNC stands for dilation and curettage. That is also a common treatment. So that is a suction procedure. You will go under general anesthesia. Your provider dilates your cervix manually with a tool and then uses another tool to suction out the rest of the tissue. Sometimes suction is used. Sometimes more of a scraping tool is used to kind of scrape the tissue out. Sometimes both are used. There's also a procedure called a dilation and evacuation, a D and E, and those are not usually needed for first trimester miscarriages, but if you've had a second trimester loss, your provider may recommend a D and E, and that is similar to a D and C in that you would go under general anesthesia, but they would just use a different tool to remove the tissue. DNCs and DNEs are usually very straightforward. They're not complicated surgeries. They usually take about 30 minutes to complete. They're done in a hospital and they don't require any sort of overnight stay unless you have extreme complications. It's usually an outpatient procedure that you'll come in in the morning one day, have your procedure, and then be able to go to PACU and recover for a couple hours and then go home. You'll probably also receive some antibiotics proactively and afterwards to help prevent any sort of infections. And then you also may receive another medication afterwards to help reduce the amount of bleeding from the procedure. You'll probably have a follow-up at some point after you have your procedure just to make sure, have an ultrasound done just to make sure that the uterus is completely completely evacuated because if it's not and you're continuing to have increased bleeding, they may have to do a repeat procedure. All right, this next question is what might you see during a miscarriage? Okay, I feel like this is not talked about very much, but it totally needs to be talked about because this is something that I think every woman experiencing a miscarriage, regardless of gestation, wonders like what what am I am I going to see a baby? Am I going to see this? So let's talk about this in weeks, okay? We'll go up to about, you know, 12, 12-ish weeks. So at about four to six weeks, four weeks, if you know, between four and six weeks, you're probably not going to see anything but bleeding, okay? You might have some clots that just pass that will either pass into a pad in your underwear or will pass into the toilet. Even at six weeks, most women can't really see anything. The baby is so small that there's really, you know, really, really nothing to see. And they can't recognize 
bleeding and clots from fetal tissue. With the bleeding, you may see clots with like a small sac filled with fluid, but again, this might come out with additional clots and you may not see it at all. At this gestation, about six weeks, a baby is about the size of your fingernail. So it's really, really tiny, but some women do still see that. So six weeks, it's gonna be really, really small, but you still might see a little fluid-filled sac. So at eight weeks, it might look a little bit different, And when I'm talking about what you're going to see, this is if you're experiencing a miscarriage at home and you're saying, hey, I'm not going to go in and have a DNC or anything. I'm just going to kind of wait and watch and see what happens. Or if you are taking medication at home, you may see these things. You're not going to see anything if you have a DNC up front. So if you have a missed miscarriage or you start to have bleeding and your provider recognizes recommends a DNC up front, you're not going to really see too much except the bleeding that you've already experienced. So at eight weeks, okay, if you have a miscarriage at eight weeks, the tissue you might pass might look kind of dark red and shiny. This sac that you see, you'll probably see the sac with baby inside and it's just, and it's a little bit bigger than your fingernail. It's, it's, it's about as big as a small bean, like a kidney bean. If you look really, really closely and you're able to distinguish that from other clotting, you might be able to even see baby inside and be able to distinguish some features like eyes, head, umbilical cord, placenta. Again, very, very small, only the size of a kidney bean, but many women at this this gestation do still see fetal tissue. At 10 weeks, okay, it's just going to kind of get bigger. It's going to look the same, but it's going to be bigger. Baby is typically fully formed, okay, with fingers, arms, legs, placenta, head, you know, toes, everything. So you will see that. But baby is just, you know, much larger than eight weeks. If you miscarry at home more than 10 weeks, so if you're in the 12, 13 week range, you might even start to miscarry and you might see some water come from your vagina. So you're your water, you know, might break, even though it's not very much, but you might see amniotic fluid kind of leaking from your vagina first, kind of before the bleeding starts, very soon after usually the bleeding starts. But again, this baby is going to be fully formed, just like the 10-week baby, and it's going to be even larger, about the size of a lime. If you do see the baby, um, it's probably, like I said, going to be outside of the sac, so it's not going to be in that fluid-filled sac and you'll be able to recognize everything about baby. All features, you'll be able to see face, fingers, toes, head, limbs, umbilical cord, placenta. It's just very small. And the actual baby is going to look very red. Very red and very beefy, very jelly looking. I know, I'm sorry, that is just very raw and harsh for me to say, but it's not, you know, it is a tissue. It's, it's, it has a tissue kind of consistency. So once you pass the baby and hopefully the rest of the products of conception, the placenta and everything, your bleeding should slowly start to ease up, but you probably, you may still have some clots that accompany that, but the cramping and the clotting is going to be most severe leading up to when you actually pass the baby. A lot of people wonder too, what to do with baby, um, you know, Do I just flush it down the toilet? Do I throw it in the trash? What do I even do with this? 
that is a perfectly valid question to ask. And I think um, it just, you know, it depends. First of all, it does depend on your gestation. So if you're early in in your gestation for six weeks, you might not have any choice. You might be going to the bathroom and not even see anything. And it, you know, you're going to the bathroom, it, it falls into your toilet and you just flush the toilet. If it comes out in your pad, you know, you certainly still can put it in the toilet or put it in the trash can. That's fine. A lot of women choose to bury their babies. That's perfectly fine. There's nothing really that you have to do with baby at this gestation, okay? If you want to keep baby for a little while, for a few hours or however long to look at baby and just grieve with baby, that's perfectly okay too. There's really no right and wrong here. Some women, I think, want to just get rid of baby as soon as possible. They don't even, you know, they just want to close their eyes to the whole thing and just don't even want to see anything. And then some women deal with it differently and they really want to see what's going on with baby, want to see what baby looks like. They need that for grief purposes and for coping purposes. So it's really, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, there's no right and wrong to that question. All right, this next question is about complications. So obviously, if you are experiencing a miscarriage, I want you to call your doctor or your midwife or your provider immediately, okay, if you experience any of these symptoms. Severe bleeding, okay? You're going to have a lot of bleeding, okay? That's normal. But I'm talking about clots that are bigger than a golf ball that are lasting two or more hours. You're just heavy, 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 heavy bleeding. You're soaking more than two large pads in an hour for two hours in a row, or you're bleeding very heavily consistently for 12 hours in a row. Any signs of infection in your body, such as you get a headache, you have a fever, you have muscle aches, you have body chills, dizziness, you definitely want to contact your provider about that. Any severe pain in your abdomen that you can't really relieve by rest or heat or ibuprofen, pain medications. If you're vomiting excessively, okay, and you really can't keep anything down, you can get pretty dehydrated. So if you're vomiting for like four or six hours straight and you really just can't keep anything down, definitely give your provider a call. If you're having any vaginal discharge that smells odd, that can also be a sign of infection. Or if you're just having pain, swellness, redness in your genital area, especially if it comes on very fast, that's also something that you want to ask your provider about. All right, and then let's talk about what you can do to to manage your miscarriage because like I said in the beginning, a very common symptom is pain, okay? We have lots of pain and cramping and I want to be very brutally honest with you guys that this can be very, very severe pain usually doesn't last very long, but especially as your body is expelling that that baby and that fetal tissue immediately right when that happens, it can be very painful. So just a heads up, just so you guys know that is very painful for very for many women. So obviously you can take ibuprofen, ibuprofen, Tylenol is okay to take lots of heat. You can use a heating pad to put a heating pad on your stomach while you're kind of experiencing this pain. 
And sometimes your provider will even prescribe you heavier pain medication, like a narcotic-based medication. But typically, honestly, the best medication is ibuprofen. All right, and finally, this last question is one that is also super common, and that is how soon can I get pregnant again? How soon can I start to conceive again? And this question really depends on a lot of factors, okay? The first factor is going to be about your health and safety, okay? The first factor is going to depend on what gestation you were when you experienced that miscarriage. If you were in the four to five week mark, your provider may say, it's okay to get pregnant, you know, the very next cycle, there's no issues. If you're anything beyond that, it's really going to be provider specific. Some providers recommend only waiting one month. So waiting for a whole period to come, okay, and then getting pregnant that next cycle. Some providers say, especially later, if you're having a 12, 13 week miscarriage, they say, let's wait a good three months for your body to kind of reset. But generally, that is the most recommended time frame. So it's going to be either one cycle or like three or four cycles. And really the importance of this is that, and some women do end up getting pregnant without waiting any cycle, you know, any sort of cycle that does happen. Really one of the main reasons that your provider tells you to wait a certain time period is for dating purposes as well. Let's say you did end up getting pregnant and you never got a period. It can be difficult to determine the dating of that baby. So most providers do say, hey, let's wait for the next cycle so we know exactly, yes, you had your period on this day and then we can date back the year next pregnancy from this day. The next factor that we have to think about is how you're feeling, how you're emotionally feeling. Some women are very eager to get pregnant after they have a miscarriage as soon as possible. Some women don't, aren't really ready to try again. So it's also important to think about that and not to think that you have to try that next, that very next cycle. If you need three months or you need six months to just not be pregnant and not worry about being pregnant, take it, you know, that's okay. It's a very personal decision. All right, that is it for this episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. I know this episode was very raw. It was very detailed in some instances, in some questions, but I think these topics, this topic of miscarriage and loss is so, so important to talk about. Thanks again to Brittany for coming on to the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast and sharing those stories. I think it is so beneficial to be talking about this topic. Loss and death and grief is not easy for anyone to talk about and not easy for anyone to go through. And if you are currently dealing with a similar situation, especially during this time of the whole coronavirus thing with, you know, less support, you can't go over and just hug a bunch of people because of this social distancing thing. I really just want to give you a huge virtual hug because I know you are struggling and it is so hard right now. As a nurse myself who has cared for women experiencing these situations. I know the feelings that go through your head. And I know that 
especially that immediate period right after you experience one is so, so incredibly hard. So I really just want to encourage you to give yourself time, recognize that this is grief that you are going through and to take as much time as you need to get through it. Use resources available to you. Talk to a therapist. Talk to your family members. Talk, 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 talk. Ask questions and give yourself a lot of grace during this period because it is hard. It is, there is no other way to say it. Whether you lost your baby at four weeks gestation, eight weeks gestation, 12 weeks gestation, whatever gestation, I do want to remind you too that neither love nor grief is measured in weeks. So that simply means that whatever gestation you lost your baby at, that was your child and it is okay to grieve the loss of a child no matter what size. I can't imagine the pain you are going through right now if this is you and this hits home for you and my heart truly goes out to you during this time. 